Please pray with me this morning. Holy Father, we thank you that in your house we can celebrate your name, we can be lifted up and instructed by your precious and eternal word. And so we pray this morning, God, that your word would go forth, that it would be embedded into our lives, that it would change us from the inside out. Lord, rather than the outside in. We pray to have ears that hear your words of consolation, your words that carry us from places of defeat and discouragement into places, Lord, of triumph and victory. Help us to know this morning that the life of faith that you call us to isn't one that we can live in isolation, but indeed it is one that we must pair with brothers and sisters in Christ that walk alongside of us, all walking in the same direction towards the cross, and from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. And so here, assembled in your name, we desire to hear those words of challenge and comfort and encouragement that will stretch us and cause us to grow and to follow you more faithfully all the days of our lives. We pray that this spiritual food, Lord, would nurture us and feed us and fulfill us. We pray and ask these things now in your precious name. And all the people of God said a mighty amen. So this morning, my friends, we are never ignorant of evil. I wish that we didn't live in the world that we do. You know the kind of world that I'm talking about that is full of heartbreak and pain and despair and brokenness, even death itself, but there is no other world for us to live in. Now, at one point in time, going to the moon was going to be the answer for all of us, knowing full well the pain that is here upon terra firma, we thought, if we can just escape uh, the boundaries of time and, and space and, and land upon the moon, things would be better. We will colonize the moon, and, and it is there upon the moon that we will set up a colony of love that is free from anger and strife and violence. Well... The dream of colonizing the moon has died. It has gone away. Its death, well, it was that we had to spend all of the money that would have been used, I assume, to establish this colony upon the moon here on Earth. So perhaps it was a matter of priorities And so the Apollo space program was mothballed, and so was eventually the space shuttle program itself. Now young explorers, they have their hopes set upon journeying to Mars, and though much farther away than the moon, we are all aflutter with the red planet. But the ancient Romans considered Mars not to be a planet of peace, tranquility and brand new beginnings, but a planet of anger and war and bloodshed. And so, there is no escape. 
we may in the distant future be able to land a man or a, a woman on Mars or, or both, and I'm sure that will be very, very big news when it does happen, but wouldn't the greater news be when we can eventually remove Mars from man? Even as we colonize Mars, our baggage will not only uh, be air and food to survive such a harsh, inhospitable environment, but we will also pack and take along with ourselves to the red planet our sinful selves. Imagine the devastating headlines coming from Mars in the year 2500. First murder on Mars. First rape on Mars. First robbery on Mars. So consider traveling nine months, which is about the amount of time that it takes if we can travel uh, to Mars, nine months to get there, and 250 million miles in space. And that's one way, by the way, with no convenience stores along the way, with the best, most technological equipment known to humanity, only to arrive there and to feel anger, jealousy, frustration, and loneliness. And so darkness tends to follow us no matter where we go. But so does the light. Listen with me to Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, there you are. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And so the light overcomes the darkness, and that light for us is inescapable. Now John, who's texts we are considering today understood all about this light because he heard Jesus say of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So John heard these words as he was following Jesus as a young man, and then he had about 60 years to think these words over so that by the time he writes his first epistle, uh, which Tom read for us this morning, we find that John is an old man, quite possibly in his 90s. And even though 50 or 60 years have passed since he walked with Jesus, he wants us to understand the importance of these two ideas, no, these two truths, which are light and darkness. Of course, when John speaks of light and darkness, he is not speaking of physics and spectral analysis of light. He is speaking of spiritual principles that govern reality. And so how do I know that this reality of light and darkness is true? Well, 
I have empirical evidence and case studies that blare at me every night on the evening news. That's how I can tell they are forces, this, this darkness and this light that clash and compete and contradict one another. And while I have all of the empirical evidence of I want, I, I don't need to, to study evil or darkness to say that it is real because deep down in my gut I just know that by dint of the conscience that God has planted within me, that darkness is real, that light is real. Now, there are some that say, uh, all that I need is a good psychotherapist to figure myself out, or a good rehabilitation program, or an improvement plan of sorts. Perhaps I can reduce the darkness, be it my own or that of others, if I apply all my mental energies and outthink the evil that is at work in my life. Well, you could, you could try that. Or perhaps I could take to the streets and band together with others to protest evil. Or perhaps I could become a soldier and participate in a military campaign as we did, the call to arms was given after the twin trade towers fell. They came tumbling down and many responded to that call of arms and went forth to fight in foreign wars. Yes, we could do all of those kinds of things and I'm certain these would be worthy causes yielding beneficial results. But there is an underlying and unyielding sting found in 1 John chapter 1. You see, 1 John chapter 1 isn't just about how darkness manifests itself in nations or systems and institutions. Its sting is found in that we ourselves individually, despite our best efforts to be loving and caring, and altruistic, each of us carries a stain, a blot, a mark made upon us by the dark nature. Search your hearts. The dark nature that inhabits us makes us rebels who repeatedly reject God. This is the wound of Adam. And what was inflicted upon us by Adam is not a pretty picture. The acts of the flesh, says Scripture, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. James chapter 3 and verse 16 adds, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And so to paraphrase the words of 1 John chapter 1, none of us can claim to be ignorant of evil. Verses 8 through 10 implicates all of us. 
If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not within us. But to say that we cannot be ignorant of our own rebel hearts is actually not the end of the story. For John gives us all hope in one simple three-letter word, and that word is B-U-T, but. This is the same but found in Genesis chapter 22, when just as Abraham was about to slit the throat of his son Isaac, Scripture says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham. Abraham, stay your knife. It is the same but that is found in Romans chapter 8, which says, if people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, there is death. But if their thinking is controlled by the Spirit, there is life and peace. When people's thinking is controlled by the sinful self, they are against God because they refuse to obey God's law and are really not even too able to obey God's law. Those people who are ruled by their sinful selves cannot please God. And it is the same but recorded in Luke chapter 24, where early in the morning, the women went to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, but when they arrived on the scene, they entered the tomb and they did not find the body of Jesus. So what is this divine conjunction but like? It is like what the father of a rebellious son once did. It is said of one of the famous composers that he had a rebellious son who used to come in late at night after his father and mother had gone to bed. And before going to his own room, he would go to his father's piano and slowly, as well as loudly, play a simple scale, all but the final note. Then leaving the scale uncompleted, he would retire to his room. Meanwhile, the father, hearing the scale minus the final note, would writhe upon his bed, his mind unable to relax because the scale was unresolved. And finally, in consternation, he would stumble down the stairs and hit the previously unstruck note only then would his mind surrender to sleep once again. So it is. God resolves the unplayed note in our lives, all to bring us to a place of resolution and completion. The message from 1 John is, is not only about competing realities, but that choosing one reality, darkness or light, over the other, that it has consequences. And we carry these consequences around with us just like the character Christian did in John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, written during Bunyan's 12-year imprisonment. He writes this, Saddled to Christian's back is a heavy burden of sin and shame. I've experienced that. 
He goes on to write, I fear that this burden upon my back will sink me lower than the grave, he says, staggering under its weight. But then he approaches a hill called Calvary. Up this way, therefore, did this burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus till he came to a place somewhat ascending, and upon the place stood a cross, and a little below in the bottom a sepulcher. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosened from his shoulders and fell off of his back and began to tumble and tumble and so continued to do so until it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in the burden and when it fell into the sepulcher, I saw it no more. The journey of the character Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress is very enlightening because it shares with us the origin and the source of the light that can inhabit our lives and it is found in none other than the cross that we sang about this morning that the choir blessed us with. The cross is what overpowers our own rebellion and loosens the, the heavy backpack of darkness that we we all struggle to carry around upon ourselves. And, and it is the cross that, that loosens that burden and that weight to fall off of our backs. Max uh, Lucado, the famous uh, pastor and uh, writer, uh, writes in Six Hours One Friday, he writes these words. He says, the cross... It rests on the timeline of history like a compelling diamond. Its tragedy summons all sufferers. Its absurdity attracts all critics. Its hope lures all searchers. Ma, what a piece of wood. History has idolized it and despised it, gold-plated it, burned it, worn it, and trashed it. History has done everything to it, but ignored it. That's the one option that the cross does not offer. No one can ignore it. You can't ignore a piece of lumber that suspends the greatest claim in history. A crucified carpenter uh, 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 claiming that he is God on earth. The cross. Its bottom line is sobering. If the account is true, it is history's hinge. Period. If not, it is history's the cross has power to transform us from unrepentant rebels to empowered followers if we are willing today to let it do its work in our lives. And so, will you? Will you allow the cross to do its work in your heart and life today? We can never be ignorant of evil, not in the world, nor in our own lives, but, but neither can we be ignorant of the one who from the cross calls us to repent. 
to ask for forgiveness and to find the new life that is only in him. May he bless us as we journey to that place of crucifixion where his eternal light shines for us. Amen.